Memories, though, are a funny thing. You know, they tied to smells sometimes. You ever had a memory tied to a smell or, or to a taste or to a sound? You know, driving down the road and a song comes on and you're, and you're flooded with all these emotions with things that, that happened in the past or, or you have a smell or, or a certain taste that you go, oh, um, that's, you know, there are certain dishes that mama would cook that I, I take a bite of and if I taste that same taste today, it takes me back to mama's table and, and the things that she did. And my mom's dad, Papa, we called him, he passed when I was in seventh or eighth grade. I don't remember. I don't remember what year. It was, it was one of those two years. So, you know, that was 30 years ago. <clears throat> Man, I'm getting old. Uh, that was 30 years ago. But uh, I can still remember his room in the house. Uh, he had, he had a, uh, the kitchen. You know, it was one of the clapboard houses, the salt box houses, I always called them. It had the different rooms, you know, had one, two, three, four, six, six rooms in total, and it made a big circle. And Mama had the front of the house in the living room, and Papa had the kitchen. And so the, the smells that, that automatically take me back to Papa's kitchen, you know, are a combination of Sir Walter Raleigh pipe tobacco, um, sourdough pancakes, and a pot of beans. I mean, those were the those were the uh, <laughs> those were the smells of of, of Paul's kitchen, and we always we always wanted to be like Paul. Um, I smoked my first pop when I was seven, on accident. I didn't think it was lit, and I picked up Paul's pop and I went. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. So I never smoked pop after that because I just knew it had to be bad for me because I couldn't breathe. But it's still a memory tied to that smell, tied to all of those things. Memories are like that. I can still, to this day, remember the brush and, and the stubble on Papa's face when he would give us a kiss. One of the only men in my life growing up that ever gave kisses was Papa, and I can still feel that, that, that feeling. And I can smell his smell, and, and I can smell all of those things. And it's just from from being with him just from those thoughts. Memories are formed in that way. And sometimes we remember these events more than we remember words. I can tell you lots of things that, that my dad did. Uh, times that he rescued me on the side of the road, times that he would go and, and look at cars with me, times that he would, he and I would go hunting. I mean, you know, every, every year I knew there was one weekend that I was going to be with Dad, and that was the opening weekend of deer season. Every year. It didn't matter what was going on. It didn't matter what was happening. Me and Dad were going to be together on that weekend. It was going to happen. Um, but I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I ever heard him say the words, I love you, to me in my entire life. He just didn't say I love you. That, that wasn't who he was. He would show you. And I can remember those times and those things that he did that showed me his love. But I can't remember the words all that often. And so it amazes me that people want to talk so much sometimes. People just like to talk. And sometimes we have a lot of nothing to say. You ever been around a person like that? Just has a whole lot of nothing to say? That, Carrie says I'm like that sometimes. Because if I'll meet you in my life story and, you know, we're in Walmart and the person in front of me is talking about how... Their mama's sister's cousin's daughter was doing this. Could I pray for them? And she goes, how did you know them? I don't know. I just talked to them. I just started talking, and they told me this. I, that's how it works. A lot of people say things. I'm one of them. We just talk a lot about nothing. 
And it just amazes me when I think about how all my memories are formed about that we want to talk that much. Because it's always the things and the smells and the sights and the sounds, those are the things that remind me. Those are the things that form my memories. And our passage this morning is directly related to that idea. We're still in our series, and I forgot to get the slide, but, you know, it is our series, uh, And God Created Woman, the great and not so great women of the Bible. And we are going to be in the book of Acts, in the ninth chapter. Uh, Peter has been going around doing some ministry. He has showed up in a place called Lydda, and there is where he is staying, doing some, some ministry work. And in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 36, we find our text for the day. And it says there, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. She was always doing good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became sick and died. After washing her, they placed her in a room upstairs. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples heard that Peter was there and sent two men who begged him, don't delay in coming with us. So Peter got up and went with them. When he arrived, they led him to the room upstairs, and all the widows approached him, weeping and showing him the robes and clothes that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Then Peter sent them all out of the room. He knelt down, prayed, and turning toward the body, he said, Tabitha, get up! She opened her eyes, saw Peter, and sat up. He gave her his hand and helped her stand up. Then he called the saints and widows and presented her alive. This became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed on many days in Joppa with Simon, a leather tanner. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank you, and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as a vessel, and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you, and we praise you, and we ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake, and all God's people said. Such an interesting story to me, because there's so much there, but there's so little there. Uh, and that's what I find about the interesting stories in the Bible to me, is how much we find that isn't really talked about all that much. This is one of those stories you may have never heard. I mean, you know, unless you really read the Bible, this is one of those stories we kind of gloss over sometimes. But as I read this, I begin to see some things in Dorcas's life and Tabitha's life that we can, that we can so take and use in our own lives and in our own ministries that God has given us. And the first one is that your deeds will outlive your words. The things that you do will outlive the things that you say. You know, there, there are so many people who, who do. They talk a lot. They say a lot of things. They make a lot of promises. They, they do all this stuff, but they don't follow through with the things that they've mentioned. You know, we always talk about politicians. We say what? They're crooked politicians. Why do we say that? Because they make a promise and they never follow through. Or they do the exact opposite of, of what it is that, that they said that they are going to do. Our deeds outlive our words. What we do is way more important than what we say. Nothing of what Dorcas said here is recorded. We don't know anything about what she ever said. We don't know anything about her teaching anything. We don't know anything about any words that ever came out of her mouth. But what we do know is that she did some stuff. What does it say? She was always doing good works and acts of charity. 
And then you had the widows who were bringing the clothes and the robes that she had made for them and all the things that she had done. We don't know what Dorcas said, but we know what Dorcas did. We know the acts that she took part in. We know the things that happened and the things that occurred. You know, one of the things that I have had to to fight against ever since Shiloh was born was not to overreact to how my dad was when I was growing up. My dad didn't say, I love you. He wasn't raised that way. But he did show me he loved me. And I know that now looking back as an adult. Shiloh and Micah will never have to wonder if I ever said, I love you to those kids. I mean, one of our favorite games at this point is, I'll pick them up and I'll say, never forget. And Micah will break out and smile and say, how much daddy loves me. And I said, exactly. But I have to make sure that I haven't overreacted and I'm only saying I love you and I'm not following through and doing the things they need that they will latch on to saying, wow, dad did that and it shows me that he loved me. Because so often we can say things and they'll become cheap. There are going to be times I know they're coming in the future because they're my kids and they're Carrie's kids and we're handfuls. I know it's coming in the future. There will be a falling out at some point because they're going to say, dad, I know it all. And I'm going to say, okay, and they're going to wonder, well, did he really love me? He doesn't really love me. But they're going to be able to go back if I've done the things I'm supposed to do and say, but you know, that time when he showed up when I needed him to proves he does. That time he helped me through that proves he does. The things we do always have a great impact on those around us. The things we do are what make people remember us. The things that we do are what stand out. I can talk about the people that I've sat under their teaching all day long, but the ones that I remember, the ones that I revere, the ones that I look up to are the ones who did things in my life. The ones who took apart and poured themselves into me and invited me to their house or, or took me out to lunch or said, you know, you could do this just a little bit better. I remember my first paper at Howard Payne. Turabian. You may know what Turabian is. It's the devil's handiwork. Turabian is the citation format seminarians have to use math back there going, yes, it's the devil's handiwork. Uh, it's, you, you, you have to follow these rules and you have to, you have to use a ruler and make sure that it's a half inch margin. Because if it's three quarters inch, you get counted off. If it's a quarter inch, you get counted off. The rules have to be followed. You have to do these things. And I remember I had always been trained that I only put a footnote in or I only show a quote when it's a direct quote. So I turned my first paper in and I was proud of that thing. Woo, man, it was some good work. Got to see. And I walked into the, the office of Dr. Allen and I said, Doctor, I don't understand. Everything in here is right. And I, 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 every quote that I gave, I put a footnote in. He said, no. He said, Troy, what you don't understand is what we want is every thought that could have come from someone else at all has to be footnoted. So if I had read a book and I had a thought from that book that was in that paragraph, I had to footnote that book even though the thought came from me after reading the book. But he taught me that. 
And he took the time to pour into me to show me what he meant. And he and I forged a relationship. It was the things that he did that made me respect him. It was the things that he did that gave us the relationship. It wasn't what he said. He, he could have just given me the grade and said, you're not doing it right and told me to walk away, but he poured into my life. That's why we have to watch what we do. That's why we have to bear with the weaker brother. We have to do what is right in everyone's eyes. That's difficult to do. It's almost impossible to do. I mean, what happens if these people believe that this is the way to go, but the other side of the church believes it's this way to go, and I'm standing here in the middle, who do I go with? Who do I, who do I cater to? How do you do that? Those are the things that happen. And we are called to take a stand and do the things that God wants us to do because we'll be remembered by what we do. But not only that, when I read the story of Dorcas, I am overwhelmed with this idea that you do not have to have the title to fill a role. We never see her called a deaconess in the text. But Dorcas was a deaconess. And I can make that case for this simple reason. She was fulfilling the role. She was taking care of widows. She was doing the thing that a deaconess was called to do and serve the church body. That's who Dorcas was. You know, one of the greatest lies I ever see in churches is the phrase, well, I can't do that because I'm not blank. I'm not a deacon. I'm not a youth leader. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not a musician. I'm not an evangelist. And we use that and we say, I can't do that because blank. Well, okay, why can't you be a youth leader from where you're at? Why can't you teach Sunday school? Why can't you do those things that you say you can't do because you don't have the title? The title isn't what gives you the role to play. The title isn't what gives you the power to serve. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what empowers you. The Holy Spirit is what allows you to do these things. You know, you don't have to have a title to serve and fulfill a function. One of the greatest deacons I ever served alongside was not an ordained deacon. He was a very godly man who um, ran the TV portion of, of the video editing at the church. He... They brought their grandson with them to church every Sunday um, from the time he was six until we left, and he just graduated this last year. Um, he, he was just an amazing man to work with. But he wasn't a deacon with the title. And why wasn't he a deacon with the title? Because he didn't feel worthy to be called a deacon. He did everything a deacon should do, People went to him for, for leadership. If you needed something, you could pick up the phone, and that man was there. If he saw something that needed to be done, he just did it. He didn't wait and say, well, I need to figure out if I can do it. He said, I'll get this done. He was a deacon in every sense of the word. He served the people that he was with, and he loved on them. And he never had the title. He wouldn't accept the title because he just felt that, that he, wasn't, he wasn't worthy. And it wasn't that he didn't meet any of the requirements of Scripture. It was just that he didn't feel personally worthy to do that. He didn't have a title, but he filled the role. You know, these widows here seem kind of desperate without Dorcas. If you see them, they come up and they're saying to Peter, look, look at these robes she made. Look at these clothes she made. 
oh, and they're, and they're crying and, and, they're, and they're wailing because they, they're missing her and they're mourning her. And they say, look at all these things. Look at all these things that happen. And, and when you see these things that are happening, you realize that some of your smallest deeds have the greatest impact. You know, I've, I've learned in the past 10 years um, about these small deeds you know, Dorcas wasn't preaching, she wasn't teaching, she wasn't singing, she wasn't doing things big publicly, she was taking care of needs in small ways. She was sowing these things for these ladies. And uh, in the past 10 years, maybe a little longer than that, Carrie has taught herself how to sew. Didn't have any classes, she didn't have any lessons growing up. When Carrie and I got married, there were a lot of things Carrie didn't do. I often tell her she sold me a bill of goods. She lied to me. We got married, and she said, well, I said, I love to cook. She said, well, if you cook, I love to wash dishes. That was a lie. If I was on, what is it, Mari right now, the lie detector determined that was a lie. She liked to put dishes in a dishwasher, and we didn't have a dishwasher. She didn't know that. So she learned how to cook because... I wasn't going to cook if she wasn't going to wash dishes. <laughs> no. No. But it, it's, she learned how to sew. And I would watch the love she put into these things as she would make things. As she would sew a skirt. And at first it was all for her. She would sew a skirt and she would take it apart because she was mad at it and put it back together. And she would do it over and over and over again. And then she moved on to a dress. And then she started working on quilts. And she posted a picture of a quilt this week, a memory, that, that she had made this quilt. And it took her two or three years to make this quilt by hand. And she sewed every stitch by hand. Every stitch of the quilt was done by hand. And so when I read this, and the widows are coming in, and they're saying, Peter, look at this robe she made. Look at these clothes she made for me. Dorcas didn't have a sewing machine. She couldn't plug it into the wall and push that pedal and go, no, it was by hand, every bit of it. She was putting love into those clothes. She was putting love into those robes, these little small things that had so much meaning. When we left Chillicothe, it wasn't a good it wasn't a good thing for me and Carrie. It was, it was a very bad situation when we left. And uh, we were homeless for a month. And uh, we drove around. We made the best of it. And we were out one week after leaving there at a friend's house in Van Horn. And uh, we went to church with him that morning. He was the pastor there. And we went home to eat lunch. And I was making lunch for everybody. And phone rang. And on the other end was a woman named Ethel. Ethel um, was one of two women of color in my church in Chillicothe. Miss Ethel, um, well, actually, she was, she, was, she was the only one. The other one who came with her was full-blooded Cherokee, so... We, uh, we had some good times together, and she called that morning, and the phone call went like this. Hello? Brother Troy, this is Ethel. I just wanted to call you and tell you that we love y'all, and we miss y'all. 
and I hope you have a good day. And then she hung up. That was the whole call. That was it. But it changed our outlook. It changed where we were. Because Carrie was very hurt up until that point. At that point, Carrie, Carrie did not know, and I did not know at that point, because Carrie did not know if we would ever be back in ministry. We were that hurt. And Carrie especially, because if one thing you've got to learn is when you make mama unhappy, things get bad. And, and, and mama has a tendency to, to get hurt. Daddy, then he's like a duck. The water just rolls right off. But I might get angry, I may get hurt, and I get over it and I move on. But mama's going to stew for a little while. And mama was stewing, but when that phone rang and it was Ethel, and Ethel said, I just wanted to say I love y'all. That changed everything. That small little deed. It's our smallest deeds that sometimes have the greatest impact. It's that card that says to somebody, I've been praying for you. I've been thinking about you. And I love you. That can change their, their horrible week into something that's just amazing. It's that kind word. It's, you know, I, I was with somebody the other day who, uh, <laughs> we were in a drive-thru and they just leaned over and, and looked at the, looked at the, the, the woman working in the drive-thru who had red hair and basically told her that she was reminded, reminded him of his first girlfriend and every time he, he just thinks red hair and freckles is just so pretty and that woman just lit up and she just felt so great the rest of the day because it was just a kind word. It was just something that lifted somebody up and, and made them feel good. Sometimes it's that meal when somebody doesn't have the energy to cook or it's the phone call. But the story here is that Dorcas is dead, right? She's dead. This isn't that they think she's sick. This isn't a Lazarus story. Remember the Lazarus story? How's that happen? Man, they send, they send for Jesus because Lazarus is sick and he's dying. That's the Lazarus story. This story says Dorcas was dead. They had washed her body. They had prepared her for the viewing. They had put her in the upper room. They were waiting for just for what? They don't know, but they sent to get Peter. I don't know, maybe he wanted to do the funeral. We don't know why they sent for Peter, but they sent for Peter. What did they expect? I don't know. This was, this was a strange place. And they called for Peter. And Peter walks in, and everybody's upset, and everybody's sad, and she was so great. I can imagine the walk on the way back with the two men. Man, this woman, she did so much for our community. She, she was there, and she took care of things, and, and she did what needed to be done, and she was always given her, her last money. Maybe, maybe Dorcas was like the widow with the widow's mind. Maybe she was the widow. I don't know who she was. Maybe, maybe she was that woman. But she was always given. Even when she didn't have to give, she was given. She was always doing the things she needed to do. This was who she was. I can't imagine those two guys were going, I don't know what we're going to do. She led our women's ministry. She was the leader. This is going to be hard on us, Peter. I don't know what we're going to do. Maybe you can give us some guidance. I understand. I, I imagine that walk, and then Peter gets there, and the women rush him. Oh, it's Peter! Oh, Peter, let me show you. Oh, oh, let me prepare you for the sermon for the funeral, Peter. Look, she made this and she made this. That's a great, that's, that's some great funeral sermon stuff. That's what I think they were doing, preparing him to say a few words, right? She made this and she made this. And oh, Peter, there was this time where 
I didn't have the money to, to pay my taxes, and she paid it for me. She made this robe that I got to sell, and it had enough money in it that I could do this. And he was saying all these things, and Peter finally just says, okay, y- y'all get out. Y'all get out. Uh, oh, okay. Peter sends him out of the room, and he closes the door. And he kneels down. And we don't know what he prays. I wish we knew what he prayed. You know, in the story of Lazarus, Jesus looks up and says, Father, I know he, we, we know all of his words. We don't know what Peter prayed. We know he kneels down and he prays, and then he says, Tabitha, get up. She opens her eyes. She looks at Peter, and she sits up. And Peter takes her out there and gives her back to everybody. You know, you never know when the Lord will transform your situation and use your story to bring people to him. They thought Dorcas was gone. She wasn't coming back. This leader in their church body, this matriarch of the clan, this woman who meant so much and had done so many things, she was gone. They were never going to get her back. That's what they were thinking. We're never going to get her back. I don't know how we're going to replace her. I don't know who's going to fill her shoes. This is tough. They never expected that. They thought Peter was coming to give them some comfort. And Peter says, Tabitha, get up! That's what I think he said. I don't think he whispered it. I don't think it was, thank you, Jesus. Tabitha, get up. I think he said, Tabitha, get up! They're probably going. I can imagine them in the next room. Peter, she's dead. Peter, you know, that's, but he, get up. And she got up and they walked out and he gave them back. This woman, this treasure, this leader, he gave them back. You never know when the God's going to transform your situation and use your story to bring people to him. That's what the story says here. This became known throughout Joppa and many believed in the Lord. They believed. Because of what he did there. Because she was brought back. God can transform your situation. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how bad it may seem. God can transform it. He can take lemons and make lemonade. Heck, he can take lemons and make sweet tea. God will transform it if we give it to him. And when he begins to transform your life, he may bring salvation to those around you. Because all the good deeds in the world do not add up to the importance of salvation. She could have done all these things all her life, and if it didn't change people's lives and it didn't bring them to Jesus, they were just good deeds. But now, her life, It's something people look at and go, that was God at work. She was dead and now she lives. She was gone. This wasn't, oh, she had fainted. This wasn't, oh, she still had a slight pulse. The woman had been gone for a while. Peter had to walk to her. It was past the 30-minute CPR window. She was dead. And God transformed it. He brought her back. He brought her back to life. God can change your situation. And only through God transforming this situation do we see salvation come. It's only then. What about you this morning? What's your situation been like? 
Are you going through something that you just don't know how to get past it? Is there something happening that you're just like, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss? Man, I was. Back, that's a long time ago now, eight years ago, eight, you know, I don't know, eight, seven, eight years ago, in that house in Van Horn, we were at a loss. And that phone call came. And God transformed our situation. God changed everything. That afternoon, Carrie was like, maybe we should call Quana and, and go to that interview. We had told him no. We had told him no six times already. She said, maybe we should call him and go to that interview. That afternoon, she said that. She was ready. God transformed our situation. Maybe today you're struggling in a situation that you don't know how to get past. Maybe you have been floundering, wondering all these things, and you are sick and tired of people's words that are not backed up by action. Today's the day to say, okay, God, I'm giving it to you. Transform my situation. Transform my situation and use me. But here's the, here, here's the key. When God begins to work in your life to transform you, it may not be pleasant. Dorcas was dead. Something had killed her. We're not told what. But I'm getting older. Y'all laugh at me, but my knees creak. And, you know, my elbows pop. I, you know, I was working out the other day, and I thought, oops, my knee went. I was like, oh, I'm never going to get back up. But I did. Dorcas was brought back to that aching body. It didn't say, and God gave her a brand new body. It said, Tabitha, get up. It didn't say he changed her back to be, oh, you're completely healed. She came back to that same body that had to hurt. Sometimes when God transforms our life, he begins to take things we don't want him to take. Hmm. But God, I really wanted to hold on to that. No. Okay. But, but God, I, I really like that show. God, I really like that song. God, God, I... Are you ready for God to transform your life? Are you ready for, for that process? Because when God begins to transform, things begin to happen, and people begin to see, and people begin to come to the Lord. See, here's the key. I keep hearing people talk about, we want to see revival in this nation. The way we'll see revival in this nation is when we all submit to the transforming power of God. And when we let God do the things in our life that he wants to do in our life and quit kicking and screaming like my kids do when I tell them no, that's when people start being changed. Because when they look at us up here playing church, they go, they're playing church. But when they see us being the church, they want to be a part of that. And so we have to get to the point where we can say, okay, God, I may not like it. I may hate it. I may kick and scream. You may be dragging me through the sand because I ain't coming with my footsteps, but I want this. And I want to be changed and be different, and I want you to show me who you want me to be because now's the time. Our nation and our world are ripe for revival, but the only way we're going to see it is when we say, yes, Lord, transform me. 
Now, I know most of you are saying, but I've already been transformed. I'm a believer. So? Abraham believed God a long time as Abram before he transformed him into Abraham. It doesn't mean you can't still be transformed. God can still change you. He can still move you. He can still do the things he wants to do. And that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. That's what I want for this church. To be a lighthouse for people to go, I want some of what they got. If you watched the scripture reading this morning, I talked a little bit about this. Because I love Old Testament worship scriptures because here's what happens. There's this movement. It's so noisy. There's this cacophony. They're blowing trumpets and they're playing harps and lyres and people are, are cheering and they, there's the, there's the bleeding of lambs and the neighing of sheep and the, all this stuff going on. And then all of a sudden in the one we were in this morning, the king said, now sing the songs of David and Asaph. And they break out into song. Woo! I want some of that. That's what I want. I want people to go, I want some of that. I want some of that joy. I want some of that love. I want some of that power. I want people to know that Jesus Christ and Him crucified and the power of the resurrection is what's preached in this church building. So maybe today you've been waiting for God to do something. Now's the time. Say, yes, Lord, do it. Maybe this morning... You want to pray. The altar's open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to surrender to missions or ministry. Maybe this morning, though, you've never known Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never known that thing that makes me go, whoo! Maybe you've never known that. Now's the time. Just come down, and I'll share it with you. Just say, Brother Troy, I want to know Jesus, and we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you right now, and we thank and we praise you for your blessings. Father, we ask right now that you would take this time, Lord, Father, use it for your glory. Father, if there are any needs this morning that need to be made known, Father, make them known now. Father, we thank you this morning. We praise you. Thank you for loving us, Jesus. Thank you for bringing us back together this morning. Thank you for the care that you have given over us the past two months. Father, allow us to be your light in this dark world. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, and for his sake. Amen.